Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Effective Altruism Form Weekly Podcast. This is the podcast where we do summaries of the top Effective Altruism Form posts from that last week, sometimes from the last couple weeks, depending on everyone's well-being and overall health. Speaking of which, you might tell I'm a little bit nasally right now. I apologize for that. I got surgery last week. I'm still recovering, but I want to still do the week's podcast. So here we are. But nonetheless, thank you guys so much for joining. My name is once again Colin Snell. Thank you to Zoe Williams and the rest of the EA Forum podcast group and team. Let's go ahead and get right into the summaries. All right, starting off with the philosophy and methodology section. This week, we have a post called Effective Altruism's Implicit Epistemology by Violet Auer. Long-termist philosophy is pretty reasonable. It claims that future people matter and that there might be a lot of them. And that because of that, we can make a difference in magnitudes and proportions of ethical outcome that are far beyond what we could do with just existing people. However, many outside of EA find the priorities that have arisen from these claims, for example, AI and biorisk, to be a little weird. The author argues that this is due to EA's unusual epistemic culture and uses this post to highlight these norms and how they influence our decision making. In particular, EAs tend to be comfortable with speculative reasoning putting numbers on things even when they're highly unsure of those numbers, and using those numbers as inputs in decision-making matrices. However, the author notes that these decisions are still embedded in a culture where EAs are going to be skeptical, nonetheless, if anything becomes too speculative or fanatical. The author recommends being explicit about these norms because that allows better outside criticism, or if we're really onto something, it allows others outside the community to benefit from it more. The next article we have is called The Relative Importance of the Severity and Duration of Pain, and it comes to us from William McAuliffe as well as Adam Shriver. In this article, McAuliffe and Shriver argue that pains vary in their severity and duration, and that this should affect how we look at existential risk as well as effective altruism work. Their report reviews the research and philosophy on how to trade off these two dimensions, which can impact cause prioritization decisions within EA. Some of the viewpoints that they explored include that badness scales non-linearly with the severity of pain, and that the duration of pain can only outweigh a highly intense pain if it meets the bar preventing pleasure or making more moments bad than good overall. Utilitarian views simply multiplying severity times duration are also presented, and the authors note that it's also possible that these trade-offs vary between individuals. One study found most participants make decisions as if adding severity and duration to get badness, while only a minority multiplied them together. Ethical constraints, severity being more salient in retrospect, imagination failures, and other factors make research and experimentation in this area really difficult. The authors are planning to gather scientists and philosophers at a workshop to deliver and develop new methodologies to push the area forward. The next article is Sign of Quality of Life in GiveWell's Analyses by BRB243. The author here argues that some lives are valued negatively by those living them. And the author concluded this and conducted a small-scale survey of around 30 people in a Kenyan slum in 2021, which found that most participants rated themselves closer to the worst possible situation, quote, unquote, than, quote, the best possible situation. And the median participant wanted to live two more years if their situation didn't change at all. Taking this into account could influence GiveWell recommendations. For instance, GiveWell's recommendations might recommend a grant to support the deregistration of pesticides commonly used in suicide on the basis of lives saved. However, the author argues that from the perspective of the people living these lives, these lives are likely valued quite negatively. 
And the grant could have negative impacts on agricultural productivity and therefore the quality of life for others as well. I just want to quickly say that this is once again just a summary of the article. It's not support from I or anyone else on the production team, but I just want to clarify that real quick given the nature of the last article. Moving on to the object level interventions and reviews section. Next article is called My Experience Experimenting with a Bunch of Antidepressants I'd Never Heard of by Luisa Rodriguez. So in this article, Luisa systematically experiments with different antidepressants over the last year. And after putting together a best guess ranked list with their psychiatrist, they then decided to write and share this research, this personal research, with the EA community. While the year was grueling, they found a drug with good effectiveness and limited side effects for them. Antidepressants effects vary significantly between individuals. It's majorly supported within the cognitive research. So they suggest this process could be worthwhile for others as well. And a particularly useful venture to do if you have financial resources and supportive employers, as well as partners to help deal with the effects and the duration of the process itself might also be tiring. Louisa also found that cognitive behavioral therapy and changing their job role to focus on particularly satisfying and exciting tasks were both a really big help in terms of adjusting overall life quality. And the next article is by George Stiffman, and it's called Growing the U.S. Tofu Market, a Roadmap. Chinese tofus are varied. Some are melty, cheesy tasting, crumb-like outsides, while others are not really known outside of China. Promoting and expanding access to these could have substantial amounts of animal lives saved, and it can also really help to make plant-based food much more tasty, exciting, and of course high status. In addition to these major qualifiers that help people adjust behavior in the real world, one of the other issues is limited supply and awareness are big bottlenecks, particularly as shipping is expensive if done in small quantities. Encouraging existing trading companies to import more might help to scale the economy. And as we all know from Ecom 101, economies at scale tend to reduce cost. Helping local producers scale up and creating a new distribution company are all also potential solutions. Developing novel uses for the tofus could be done via in-house chefs, developing pre-packaged and seasoned versions, cookbooks, mailing samples to food bloggers, chefs, food developers, etc. All these, if done right, might really help to scale the addressable market by 10 to 100 times. Research into how ingredients have gained popularity previously would also be really helpful, the author notes. George Stiffman also writes that you can support this project by co-founding various types of organizations, import companies, ghost restaurants, communication on the subject, book writing, etc., as well as connecting the original author with funding sources and co-founders, chefs, researchers, etc. in the tofu world. We also need more academic researchers on the subject, as well as advising staff for said research within academia. If you're interested in helping to grow the U.S. tofu market and the U.S. tofu community to save a bunch of animal lives, there's more resources in the article. The next article is by Frulo on the forum, and it's called Dissolving AI Risk, a Parameter, Uncertainty, and AI Future Forecasting. Most models of AI risk have a number of discrete steps which all need to be true for bad outcomes to occur. These models calculate total risk by multiplying the central probability estimate of each step together progressively. This is statistically incorrect for conditional and independent steps. That is, if the central estimate of each of the four steps were 60%, by simple multiplication, that's 13%. 
However, Ferrillo argues that this is incorrect and argues that we actually have a probability distribution for each step. And this has meaningful consequences. If we end up in a world, for example, with an unlikely result in the lower tail on one and an unlikely result in the higher tail on another, the final probability is hugely reduced. That is 60 times 60 times 5 times 95, and that's only 1.8%. This means if we keep sampling from the distributions for each event, simulating possible worlds, we will get a lower predicted risk than if we multiply our best guesses for each step together. The author collects estimates from the community and AI risk experts on each step of a well-accepted path to AI risk, which is based off it's the Carl Smith model from 2021 which via sample multiplication or simple multiplication that is, ends up around the usual estimates in the 15 to 30% range. However, the author argues that from sampling on the distribution of answers, they find we are far more likely to be in a world with less than 3% of, of risk of catastrophe due to out of control artificial general intelligence, with a geometric mean of only around 1.6% risk. The author also argues that this analysis is important because it allows us to identify which steps are most important for determining if we are in a low or high risk world, which could be really useful for prioritizing research directions. One of the top comments notes that this method requires independence of each step of the IA risk model for a particular expert, and that assumption is likely not met and can hugely influence results as well. The next article is our second one this week from Luisa Rodriguez, and it's called What is the likelihood that civilizational collapse would cause technological stagnation? It's important to note that even Luisa argues that this is outdated research. Nonetheless, what it is is an incomplete draft that she posted from 2019 and 2020 on the probability that a catastrophe that caused civilizational collapse might lead to indefinite technological stagnation. And it explores three questions in relation to this. First, if we re-ran history, would we see the agricultural and industrial revolutions again? Second is, would technological progress look different in a post-collapse world? And third is, what are the recovery timelines for collapse civilization? Some note concerns in this, with this article are around definitions of collapse as well as arguments around systemic collapse, not in terms of society, but in terms of systems thinking within systems theories that relate to a certain perspective in existential risk and societal collapse arguments. The next article is called Brief Evaluations of Top 10 Billionaires by Nuno Sempre. The author briefly writes a ranking of the world's top 10 billionaires according to how much value slash impact they've created through their business and philanthropic activities. And I gotta say, it is a really fun read to see the different levels of impact based off of different alignment or strategies to doing good that different billionaires have. It's a lot more of a variety than I was expecting. And now on to the opportunities and resources section. This includes jobs, programs, competitions, fellowships, courses, and resources, as well as more. The first article is called Introducing Cause Innovation Bootcamp by Akhil and Leon Falk. What this announcement is, is that they're announcing a bootcamp for fellows who will participate in training on evidence-based research and then produce a shallow report on a pre-selected global health and development GHD cause area. The research will be aimed at novel areas with the hope to identify new interventions that could be really competitive with the top of the field currently. Applications are open until the 30th of October for the pilot, which will run the 7th of November through the 20th of December. The next article is announced by Anna Naganon, and it's called Call for Applications for Zanzibar Residency, which announces the 
applications now being open for the 2023 Effective Altruism African Residency Fellowship. The program runs from January 15th to March 31st and is aimed at providing support and community for EAs working on improving well-being in Africa. Accommodation and working space are both provided. The next article is called A Couple of Expert Recommended Jobs in Biosecurity at the Moment, which is, of course, October 2022, and it's announced by Clifford. Clifford asked Chris Bakerly, who's a senior program associate for biosecurity and pandemic preparedness at Open Philanthropy, for biosecurity roles he is excited to see filled right now. He responded with an executive assistant role on his team and a senior program officer slash senior director for global biological policy and programs role at the Nuclear Threat Initiative. Moving on to community announcements and media, Caleb B. announced that EA Funds has a public grant database where all public grants by EA Funds will now appear in, and the database entries include project summaries, the grantee's name, which funds were paid, and the payout amount. Next, we have a guide to impactful careers within the medical space announced by Probably Good and High Impact Medicine, and the article is called Careers in Medicine, which, as I was saying, is a guide to high impact careers within the medical space, primarily aimed at existing doctors and medical students. And it includes ways to have more impact within clinical work, taking high paying roles and donating is one example they have. And it also includes high impact alternatives that benefit from a medical background, things like medical research, public health, biosecurity, and of course, nonprofit entrepreneurship. Next, we have an announcement called Healthier Hens Year One Update, including challenges so far and a call for funding by Lucas J. Ten and Isaac Esperanza. Healthier hens investigate dietary interventions to improve the welfare of cage-free hens and engage farming stakeholders to adopt these initiatives. In year one, they spent most of their budget on staff, research, and travel. In year two, they intend to ramp up their program work. However, they are short on funding, missing around 180k out of 230k needed for year two, and they're looking for donations. The next article is called Center for Exploratory Altruism Research, otherwise known as SEARCH. And it's announced by Joel Tan, who, by the way, is great at picking acronyms. It's a wonderful name. Search is a new organization focused on cause prioritization research, where they will investigate a large number of causes shallowly, and then they will do more intensive research if the cost effectiveness of the cause seems plausibly better by at least one magnitude higher than GiveWell's top charity. So far, they have completed three shallow investigations, which were nuclear war, fungal disease, and asteroids where asteroids rank the highest, around 2.1 times top GiveWell charities in terms of impact, which surprised the researchers. Next, we have an article called Announcing Vivid, a new EA organization aspiring to scale effective self-improvement and reflection, announced by Giddy Kadosh. Vivid is a new organization building an app for effective self-improvement and reflection, initially targeting effective altruists, but later adapting to a different audience. The app distinguishes itself via a focus on extensive customization and self-testing of plans to tackle internal obstacles and to change mindsets. You can help by trying the beta version and providing feedback on what does and doesn't work for you personally, as well as getting in touch if you do EA wellbeing workshops or coaching. Joining the team is another way of getting involved. They have several open positions currently, as well as giving feedback on the website and communications. Just as my congestion is starting to get even worse, we're luckily on to the last article for this week, which is called Be Careful with Outsourcing Hiring by Richard Moan. Organizers not used to hiring might outsource it, 
but hiring firms don't always do a good job. The author has seen an example where it was hard for founders without hiring experience to identify this problem. In that example, the hiring company did some of the following. They turned away candidates with long ads, unnecessary requirements, unclear processes, and delays. They failed to distinguish good candidates due to asking studies that didn't dig into the candidate's experiences. And the hiring firm rejected candidates late in the process via email with a form letter that stated no feedback could be given, all dampering the overall ability for the founders to get the most for their hiring dollar. Thank you guys so much for listening. My name is Colin Snell, a very, very sick, still recovering Coleman Snell, of course. But next week, my voice will be a lot better. At least that's what the doctors say. And I will, once again, see you guys next week. Keep doing good the best you can. And of course, keep finding meaning in that work. I'll see you guys next week.